Welcome back to the Untangled Podcast, where we explore how plausible an obscure alternative reality really is. On Thanksgiving evening 1971, a man known only as Dan Cooper hijacked Northwest Airlines Flight 305. After receiving his demanded ransom money, he parachuted out the back and was never seen again. Did he get away? Did he survive? And who was he? Join us today as we untangle the D.B. Cooper mystery, examining a plethora of loose ends and leads of aviation's most notorious caper. And just before we get into it, don't forget to like and subscribe for more enthralling content. We hope you enjoy. Welcome back to this podcast of ours, the conspiracy, theory, and mystery podcast known as Untangled. Uh, So thanks for clicking. Thanks for listening in. I'm Simon, and I'm joined today by Ryan and Han. And if you're a regular listener, you may have noticed our uploads have been a bit slower lately. Han, do you want to tell them about the sad state of your life? <laughs> the sad state? <laughs> oh my god, I feel I feel attacked. Um, well, basically, I've been I've been working on my thesis for the for the pa- for the better part of three months now, and the last month or so has been really rough. So. And the following three weeks are going to be rough. So that's kind of been messing up my entire schedule and, and all of my headspace. So, uh, yeah, I guess I'm taking the blame for this. <laughs> no, no, I was going to say, I was going to say, my life is not much more happier. I mean, I did finish my thesis last year, but I had the same issue you had where I was completely dead for the entirety of May. But this May is the busiest month for work. So I've been completely dead from work. So, you know, we've both been pretty busy. So it's equally split between the two of us. It's just mis- just miserable. I almost feel bad how open uh, my schedule is. <laughs> I was going to transition like that, Ryan. So please tell us about the beauty of those open time slots. How is your Outlook calendar looking? <laughs> uh, just a bunch of camping trips. And, uh, and, and I've got two weddings to go to this summer. Congratulations. Um, wow. I'm, yeah, I'm excited for that. And yeah, I just have a very open and relaxing summer ahead of me. So... <laughs> sorry sorry that i've got the complete opposite of you guys <laughs> no worries no worries i mean it's how life goes i'm, I'm jealous mm-hmm. yeah ebbs and flows ebbs and can flows. live vicariously through me <laughs> ryan you're the first recurring guest we're having on this podcast so far are you happy to take up that mantle yes i i feel i feel so honored so special especially that you'd be willing to put up with me <laughs> again <laughs> Again, uh, the first one was fun. If you want to check out the first appearance of Ryan, we did one on. Do you want to tell him what it was about, Ryan? Uh, yeah, the uh, lost cosmonaut theory, right? Mm-hmm. And, and were you convinced? One. Yes, yes, I, I'm pretty sure. Maybe not, a, maybe not all of the uh, parts of the theory, but just like the the base claim that that some cosmonauts died before Yuri Gagarin became officially the first one come back down I, I i think so to be fair i think that might be one of the more plausible ones we've done in like across the board because mm-hmm. some of the other ones were slightly more far-fetched mm-hmm. well, we'll, we'll, I don't, we'll see about that i mean it's gonna be a little bit different today ryan because we're doing less of a conspiracy per se but more of a mystery and you know mis- what are mysteries mm-hmm. if they're not conspiracies exactly but the way we like to you know, ease into this, you know, I'll ask a bit of a, you know, an icebreaker for today. And this mm-hmm. is one which goes very well for you, Ryan, because you've just had some kind of criminal record or security procedure check. So I'm going to ask in a way, which is not at all some kind of crazy question given to me by some uh, Canadian government official. 
what's the most illegal thing you think you can do and still get away with? I don't know if I should answer that. <laughs> I know, but this is all hypothetical to any like us, yes. like thesis agents listening Very in. Very hypothetical. Um, that is an excellent question. I, I would be lying if I said I haven't thought about that before. That, that would be uh, illegal. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, the thought the thought's Yeah, not, not yet, at least. <laughs> Depends on where you live. Uh, no. <laughs> um, that, that is a really good question. I feel like one thing that's pretty easy to get away with is like felony tax evasion. I mean, taxes uh, just went, so don't say that too loudly. <laughs> but uh, no, I think I think that that would be the, the easiest in terms of like a, a federal crime. True. Uh, yeah, I think I could agree that it just it just seems the simplest. It's the to get away with because there's just so many so many ways to to cover your tracks plausibly and. Mm. Um, I remember, um, another guest or maybe not of this podcast, but a previous one you've done, uh, Kevin, he, I asked him once cause he, he was in accounting, uh, like he got away, he got away. <laughs> I asked him if he thought he could get away with it and he said, oh yeah, absolutely. So, mm. uh, well, we'll, we'll have Kevin on in near future. Cause I was talking to him earlier today, watching a soccer game and he was like, when do I get on? So he'll be on nice. the future sometime. A tax evasion podcast. Exactly. What about you, Han? Is there anything, I mean, you know, the Dutch criminal code, you know, a bit more lenient, right? Nicer jail cells? No. <laughs> Is it? I mean, I mean, the jail, cell, the jail cells are pretty nice, but I, I, I guess, I don't know how Canada, Canadian jails Straight are. Straight to an igloo and then Dutch jails are... Yeah, yeah. Really? Banished. Oh my God. <laughs> banished to the, banished to Canadian the logs up there, yeah. <laughs> You're the Canadian Those guys at least don't build themselves, so... <laughs> to, to be fair you guys are the country that is most like i think is most likely to have the, the most not likely but the most apt to have gulags as well because you have a barren wasteland frozen wasteland mm-hmm. as well um well the most criminal thing i think i could get away with jesus i don't know i'm i'm very unskilled and i've, I've got a pretty I'm, I'm pretty sure that tax evasion would be hard because honestly our, our, our tax system, the system of tracking down people who do tax evasion here is pretty rough. Like they're pretty on their business of, of, of watching every sing, where every single cent went. Mm, so I don't know. Interesting. I, I may mm. or may not still owe the Dutch government 100 euros from a year ago. They're coming for you. <laughs> you just admitted to it. I, I may you. or may not. <laughs> and I, I don't know how to pay him. Yeah, I, I, I feel like this is going to be a thing that you forget about. And then in a, like a year or 10, 20, you go back over the border and then they're like, bam, yeah. motherfucker. Here's some comp out interest. Like, oh, wait. Yeah. They'll just put this recording up when you're uh, in your court case. <laughs> I, no, no, I tried to pay him back. I sent him a check and they rejected the check. What the hell? So I'm like, what am I supposed to do bounced, now? So now just, I mean, yeah, sorry, Han, go on. What illegal <laughs> thing have you not done and gone away? All right. So I, I think I could get away with murder. Ooh, I think I could. Mm, okay. Okay. I, uh, I think so too. I, uh, I think, I think it's possible depending on, depending on who, what, and, and what situation, I think it's definitely possible to get away with mm-hmm. murder. I've, uh, I've read a lot of, uh, Random things on the internet about that. I don't know how, uh, how, how reliable. Yeah, yeah. well, these you know, are. sometimes you just want to Google how how do I get away with murder and yeah. see what happens. Although here's here's the problem with like uh, like watching you know like those like serial killer shows and stuff is uh, 
we only learn from the ones who get caught. We don't, yeah, we don't, it's yeah. the survivorship bias. So like, who knows how many there are actually out there? To be fair, you can just kind of look at the, the, the obvious mistakes they made. And That's true. From yeah. that. So it, it also helps. Also, if you uh, contain yourself and only, you know, murder one person instead of <laughs> multiple. Well, I mean, that, after that, the blood, the blood thirst kicks in. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's just, the biggest danger. Just serial, only there's, it's just serial killer all the way from yeah. there. There's no way back. I think I could get away with some smuggling. Mm. I think given how much smuggling, smuggling happens, I think I could totally do it if I could drive. And I can't drive. But, so, no, oh, but. like what kind of smuggling? <laughs> if you could drive. <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah. I don't know. Like, I feel like it's easier to get stuff across the border than we think it is because, especially like in Canada, you can just hop five miles to the side and just trek through, and you're in. Yeah, that's a good point. Cool. I mean, it's the world's longest unguarded border. Well, so. yeah, that's true. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna run a hypothetical scenario by you and tell me how plausible you think you're able to get away with it because okay. this relates to the main topic: air piracy. Air pirate, what? As in air pirates? Hijack, hijacking yeah. an airplane? Yeah. Because well, if you think about it, if you hijack an airplane, you have hostages there, nobody else on board, and you can demand them to fly you somewhere where you could kind of get away, or you can jump out. But why would you do it? I think I know what this one's about. I think I you was, do, right? Yeah, I know. Ex- I, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I've. I, I, you are American. Well, you are somewhat American, so this might have some place in your heart. But uh, do you think you guys could ever get away with air piracy? Absolutely not. <laughs> <It's>, no. <laughs> I think okay. the uh, the case we're about to talk about is uh, is quite the outlier. I'm pretty sure. Like, I don't yeah, know if it's I mean, ever gone well. <laughs> I'd be the guy that gets jumped by by the passengers. Absolutely. The air marshal that just immediately pops me in the head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or just the 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 up the, the upstanding citizen that just knocks me knocks me from behind or mm-hmm. something or tackles me. Mm-hmm. If I had to let you guys guess, how many uns, how many successful cases of air pirates do you think there have been in history? In history, all hmm. of history. I mean, since what? planes were invented, obviously. Not a lot. Not a lot. I think. Yeah, I, I would not assume a lot either. Give me a ballpark number. Like ten. Yeah, I was gonna say like ten well, between ten and twenty. The, the fact, the fact that my, my my argument for that is that they only really beefed up security after nine eleven. Mm-hmm. Like, if it happened way more before that, then they would have all already had some measures in place. So, okay, my, the actual answer is there's only been one case of air pirates that ever got away. Oh, oh got okay. away! Oh, got away! Oh, I sorry, sorry. Yeah. I, I, I thought it was one successful like, case of air piracy oh, ever, yes. and we're gonna be looking at that case today. The case we'll be looking at today is the only successful case of air piracy in history. And it's one that's always kind of fascinated me because, I don't know, I just like the intrigue of it and the fact that there are so many plausible answers to this case that we don't know what's happening. So it makes it a real mystery. Ryan, I hinted at the subject and you mm-hmm. seem to know. Do you want to take a guess at what we're talking about today? Oh, it's a, it's a true American legend, D.B. Cooper, right? Ooh, yes, you guessed correct. Or yeah. was he Canadian? Or European? Oh, I mean, maybe. I don't know. Well, we'll talk about that. Have you heard of uh, the, the mystery of uh, D.B. Cooper, huh? I have not, actually. Oh, it's a, I'm kind of surprised, actually, that you've never heard of him. I'm a, I'm a European. We don't do American I mean, people. I guess that's fair, yeah. I shouldn't expect that. It's a very tantalizing tale. Um, but to give a qu- really quick synopsis of how it happened, and then I, I guess I'm going to ask you guys 
it's normally we do like how much do you think you believe this theory? But it's less of a theory, but I'll ask you guys to guess what kind of actually happened in a sense. So in a November 1971, some guy got on a plane in a flying from Portland to Seattle. And on that plane, about halfway through, he was like, yo, I have a bomb with me. I'm going to make some demands. You guys got to land, got to let go of the hostages. You got to fly me away to Mexico City. So that all goes as planned. And then as they're flying to Mexico City, the guy jumps out with the money, never seen again. That's the case of D.B. Cooper. And it's the only unsolved case of air piracy that ever happened. So did he survive? Did he die? Was, did he even do it at all? Those are the big questions. Did he even have a parachute? Hmm. He did have parachutes. We'll talk about it. But it, it's, it's quite fascinating because, I don't know, Ryan, you've heard this case before. What do you think happened? Uh, that's i mean that's the greatest mystery of it is there's so much unknown about what happened to him that like i really have i I don't know what to to believe about it or what to think like it's uh it is truly one of those like unsolved mysteries that will very likely never be solved i i really doubt we're ever gonna really Mm -hmm. find out what happened well Um, we will find out what happened today in this podcast because you guys will make an educated guess on this podcast. <laughs> but no, let, let, let's get into it because the way we're going to structure this little today is I'll go give a more in-depth history of like the exact like timeline of the crime. Uh, and then we're going to go a bit into what happened afterwards, if it's plausible that he even survived the jump. And then we'll look at a bunch of potential D.B. Cooper suspects because I have like 20 people that could plausibly fit it. And so I have like 10 or so pretty cool ones and then also some nice tangents. But without much further ado, let us get into it. The date is November 24th, 1971. As a quasi-American yourself, Ryan, you know that this is the all-hallowed Thanksgiving evening. Uh, so, you know, a lot of people traveling around. And Well, I actually didn't know that. Okay, well. Because it's I, different. It's different each year. <laughs> it's... I guess that makes sense. But uh, regardless, it was Thanksgiving evening, 1971. Um, and there was this one flight hopping uh, Northwest Orient Airlines Flight 305 going from Portland to Seattle. It was a, a nice uh, Boeing 727, carried 40-ish passengers, a few pilots. Took off at 2.50 p.m. Uh, supposed to be a 30-minute flight, a hop from one city to another. Regardless, on this flight, there was one man who went by the name of Dan Cooper. So we actually have the exact ticket he bought. That was one of the only pieces of evidence that remains. So we could kind of see his handwriting, wrote his name, Dan Cooper, booked the flight, paid for it in cash, booked it day of. And because this was 1971, no security checks, no luggage checks, no nothing. Smoking in the airplane. It's amazing. Exactly. And this guy was kind of a badass to some extent because all accounts of him was, you know, a middle-aged man, good looking, you know, average height-ish, like 5'10-ish. I mean, for us Dutchmen, it's a bit below, but, you know, <laughs> around the world, it's a... Tiny people. Yeah. The guy, <laughs> the guy wore a black suit. He had a black attache case, you know, looked very professional. He went down, sat in the back row. He ordered a bourbon and soda, sipped it, smoked a few cigarettes. Seemed like the real classy man, as you do in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Anyways, a bit through this flight, uh, there was this waitress. His flags are down. He's like, yo, I have a note for you. And she's like, thanks. Uh, puts it in her pocket. Um, she doesn't look at it. She thought uh, he was trying to hit on her and gave her her number to him. But uh, he turns back to her and gives uh, this infamous line. Uh, do you want to read his line for us, Han? Miss, you'd better look at that note. I have a bomb. <laughs> Well, that's yes. It's pretty pretty cool to be honest. That's a pretty cool line. <laughs> he just takes off his aviator shades. Miss, 
have a bomb. <laughs> but regardless, uh, took it quite a bit more seriously then. So she sat beside him in the seat and uh, he shows her the case. He opens it and she does attest later on that it looks like he had a few sticks of dynamite in that suitcase. So just a few sticks of dynamite, just casual. Mm-hmm. No, no t- taking time or anything. Just a few as one does. A, li- a lighter. <laughs> yeah, just like flick, flick, flick. Yeah. Anyway, he gave his demands. He demanded three things. First thing, two hundred thousand American dollars in negotiable American currency. Key line for later on. Please remember that. Interesting. What was the word? Negotiable. American currency. Yeah. Okay. The reason it stood out is because normally you don't ask that. You just ask, yo, I want 200000 in cash. Wait, how often have you attempted air piracy that you are so familiar with the process? <laughs> I'm just saying, there's been only one unsolved case of air piracy. So either What's I'm it? really good at it or well, I've never just, done just, it. Just to clarify, what does it mean, negotiable? I think it means that you can just trade it in at banks and stuff like that. The, the reason people think, I'll kind of spoil it, go a bit ahead in my planned storyline, but the it's, the reason it stood out to people is because they assumed maybe he's a foreign traveler, where if he asking for a negotiable American currency is easier is something maybe European or Canadian or a different traveler might do. Hmm. So it was just a weird language phrasing that they took. Yeah, that's, no, that's strange. Yeah. Um, also, real quick, I just I looked it up that uh, two hundred thousand would be worth uh, almost one point four million today. Oh wow, mm-hmm. that's a lot of that's a lot of moolah. Nice payout. Mm-hmm. He also ordered four parachutes, uh, two primary and two reserve parachutes. He made sure to specify this. This was also kind of a genius move on his part because if you order four parachutes or basically parachutes for two people, the police didn't or the FBI didn't tamper with these parachutes in any way because they assume if he orders an extra set of parachutes, he might want to take a hostage with him down. So if he does that, you can't give a bad parachute. So I kind of respect that because it's kind of a really smart way of doing it. Yeah, it is pretty smart, actually. That's clever. And he also ordered a fuel truck to be standing by in Seattle to refuel and take off again. So the interesting thing is uh, people seem to kind of like this guy. Um, So Mm -hmm. there's a few quotes about him on the flight. Uh, Do you guys want to read maybe one of them? The uh, flight attendant? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he seemed rather nice. He was never cruel or nasty. He was thoughtful and calm all the time. A true gentleman of the air. Oh my yes. God. And apparently the man himself said, I don't have a grudge against your airline, miss. I just have a grudge. Wow. <laughs> Which is kind of a baller thing to say. I feel, I feel like, is, is, is this actually true? Or is this guy just being mytholog- uh, mythologized for, to hell and back? Because he seems, he seems like, like a, almost a criminal James Bond kind of type. Yeah. I mean, there are, uh, there are real ones out there. Mm-hmm. And even if you look at his uh, the profile the FBI constructed, it's supposedly extremely accurate because he's fl- sat on the flight for several hours with the flight attendant. So they got a really good look at it. Well, it looks like James Bond. That's that's my first thought. Kind of looks mm-hmm. like Sean, kind of looks like Sean Connery, James Bond. To be fair, yeah, a little bit. I definitely got that. Uh, what is it? That classy kind of fifties look to yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Apparently. Tina Mucklow, the flight attendant who Ryan just read the quote from, uh, she even claimed that he tried to tip her while uh, she was gathering the, but he was uh, paying for his drinks, which is also kind of funny. Quite polite of him. Maybe he is Canadian. (laughs) Exactly. The flight landed in Seattle. The passengers all got off, 
they actually didn't even know the plane was being hijacked. So they were kind of quite surprised at the ruckus once they got off the plane. On the plane, he was given the ransom money. The bank actually paid at the time. Um, so the way it worked back then is that Northwest Airlines was part of several banks, and they actually had reserve funds of money just for these cases if they happened to happen. And it was not uncommon pre-9-11 for airlines to just negotiate or pay to ransom, something that doesn't happen anymore these days. So mm-hmm. if anybody's listening to this podcast looking for air piracy tips, don't try it, first off. And second off, you're not going to get paid. Yeah, you should have done it before. Apparently, apparently back then they did negotiate with terrorists. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. as some would say, he was white, so he wasn't a terrorist. But, well, no, uh, maybe they tried negotiating in 9-11 as well. And then they just mm. decided, you know what, this this was a bad idea. Why did we ever incentivize this? Yeah. But what was, what was cool is because this was a specific fund of money for uh, hijackings and stuff like that, these bills had all been noted and microfilmed. So they knew the serial numbers of each one of these bills so they could track the money if he ever spent it or did anything with it. So if he ever tried to use it, he would kind of be screwed. So it was interesting. And the other cool thing is he didn't specify how he wanted the money. So they just paid him $20 bills. So it was a lot heavier of like a parcel. <laughs> but uh, I think he overlooked one thing. <laughs> that's actually pretty funny. Like, that's uh, a good strategy. Yeah, just giving someone $200,000 in pennies or something. Like, yeah. <laughs> like just what? trucking them in. What do you want? We, we gave you what you wanted. <laughs> I read some uh, some story about like the world's dumbest criminals or something like that, where this one guy somehow was successful in this, but you know those money trucks that shake the money from like stores and stuff? So he like yep. camped out near one of those and just ran in the back and grabbed a bag of money and tried to run away. Uh, they eventually caught him, but it turned out he stole like $100 or for pennies. <laughs> like a huge... <laughs> oh, he picked the wrong bag. Exactly. Regardless, one day land in Seattle too, he also ordered all the blinds and the planes to be closed, including the shades up front to like protect from snipers was his logic. And he also declined a face-to-face meeting with any FAA officials and stuff like that. So he got the parachutes, he got the money, and he was actually quite unpleased because the refueling took two to three hours longer than expected. And this was completely outside the FBI's controls. Apparently the airport just screwed up like twice. And he, <laughs> I don't know, it's airports, yo. And he said, quote, unquote, they shouldn't be taking this long, indicating he had some prior experience with refueling planes. Mm-hmm. I think he did. I think he did his research that that goes to show. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's stuff like that. That's my favorite part of these kinds of stories. You you can never account for people just being incompetent <laughs> at their job. Yeah, I mean, he was getting quite annoyed. So his plan was to fly to Mexico City. He wanted to fly direct, but the pilot was like, no, we need to refuel. So they agreed to refuel in in Reno, in Nevada. He also gave very specific flight instructions for the plane. So the plane had to fly at the lowest possible airspeed, 185 kilometers per hour, roughly, as well as as the maximum altitude. And it had to fly with all its flaps down and wings up to like keep it that slow. Another special thing about this case is that the plane that he hijacked was a Boeing 727. So a really cool feature about the 727 is that it was one of the only commercial planes which had a rear aft door. So a rear aft door is kind of like a door in the back of the plane that opens, which can be accessed from the cabin. So he also asked for the rear door to remain open during the entire flight, as well as during takeoff. The pilots actually told him that it wasn't possible for the door to be open during flight, which he was kind of surprised at. So he said, yeah, sure, you can open it during flight. They showed him how to do it, et cetera, et cetera. What was neat is that actually 
these planes can take off with those doors open. So it was like a really specialist piece of knowledge, which commercial airline pilots were never told because it never really applied to their kind of line of work. He also ordered all the remaining crew. So I think it was three pilots and one waitress he had still on. They all had to be in the cockpit. So basically it was just him alone back of the plane. And you know, plane took off 7.40 PM. What are your impressions of this guy so far? Hmm, pretty smart guy overall. I, I'm actually, uh, I'm suspecting now, just based off of his intimate knowledge with a Boeing 727, that he could be like a Boeing employee because there's a, there's a big uh, Boeing factory in that area in the Northwest, like between Seattle and Portland, or maybe just north of Seattle. But or he did, or just regardless, he just did his research really well. Apparently, I mean, if you're if you're schooling a pilot on how to how his plane works, then pretty smart. I will also say that 727s were actually used a lot by the CIA during Vietnam War, which was around that time as well, as a way to launch paratroopers into like behind enemy supply lines, as well as to drop operatives in other zones, just because of the rear aft door and stuff like that. And it was just a handy plane to have. Mm, makes sense. Yeah. So he could have been a vet. He could have been. Uh, so he had the knowledge. Anyways, plane was in the air. 8.05 PM, uh, the pilots of Buzzman Intercom was like, yo, you want anything else? He's like, no. And that was the last you ever heard of him. At 8.13 p.m., the pilots registered kind of like a, an oscillation, they called it, um, into cabin pressure, so the, where uh, where D.B. Cooper was, and which they thought indicated the rear door had been opened. And when the plane landed, there was nobody on board. Um, what was also interesting is that while the plane took off, the, mil- well, the, the FBI had two fighter jets try to follow it, but the plane was flying too slow for the jets to keep up. Um, but they also had a helicopter trying to follow it. And the, but the, the helicopter was too slow to keep up the plane because that was too fast. So it was kind of really neatly planned out like that as well. And it, and it, and it was also at, at a very high altitude, right? I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That is really smart. You really thought his shit through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the small details you got to think of. Yeah. Like these are the kind of stuff that, that we see in documentaries where they get caught. I mean, you guys are complimenting how much well he fought it over, but there is another serious camp which thought he was just an amateur doing this kind of for fun. Because the one thing we didn't talk about was that night. I showed you guys a second ago, pictured a plane at the airport. Um, I'll, I'll flip to it again. Can you tell me how that night looks? In what? The, the night itself? Yeah. Very wet, very rainy, very stormy. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. You see all the puddles on the ground. Yeah. And apparently, I mean, don't forget, this was also November. Yeah. So given all accounts, it was a pitch black night, 172 miles per hour winds from where he would be jumping. And yeah, it was, I think it was brutal temperatures, like below freezing, just basically storms out there, terrible conditions for jumping. And we have to remember, Cooper didn't request any protective equipment for for the jump. So he jumped out of this plane wearing a trench coat, a business suit, and just business loafers. I mean, that's stylish. <laughs> I mean, that is James Bond style. That is. It's also kind of stupid because the FBI, upon hearing this, assumed he just died because that was their assumption that this man could not survive this fall. I mean, what was the altitude again? Did you know? Um, I believe it was about three thousand meters, or the highest possible the plane could fly. You can jump that. At a stormy night. I mean, only a business suit. I mean, the, the the business suit thing isn't really a problem because you'll be fine. Like the the you'll be very fucking cold and wet, but like I don't think you need really need protective equipment for that altitude. But the storm is definitely a bad idea. Another point to note is that the parachutes he had 
So he didn't specify what parachutes he wanted. So the FBI was like, okay, we'll give him a choice of two. They gave him a military parachute, so an older model, basically. And this parachute was unsteerable. Uh, so once you open it, mm-hmm. you can't steer it because it's just a military one. It also had like a, like a manual rip cord you had to rip out. So imagine jumping out of a plane, unsteerable parachutes with a manual rip cord. The other model, which he left on the plane, he didn't take it with him, was a civilian one, which was steerable and had like a better opening system. So if you were smart, you'd probably take the civilian parachute because that one was actually good. Meanwhile, he took the one, and you could just imagine him falling up the plane, no protective equipment, a parachute he can't figure out how to ripcord open. Hmm. I don't know. The, uh, the way that he planned out so many of the small details, though, may, maybe he like that was on purpose to, to throw them off his trail more. Because uh, if we go back to, to like his knowledge of the plane and the fact that these planes are used in Vietnam, he presumably might know the difference between these parachutes i i i would like to point out this picture which is just fucking hilarious because it looks like he's literally like jumping face first out of the plane and just flapping his arms around yeah does not, this does not look like a successful jump not graceful <laughs> no not at all but th- that's kind of point because some hypothesize that if he took the military parachute maybe he was more familiar with that parachute so yeah. he might have been like a military jumper uh, that's what I was thinking, too. The more you think about it, it could have just been an amateur guy who got kind of lucky, was pretending to be really cocky, threw in a parachute and was like, oh, damn, now I have to jump. Because it kind of reinforces it, too, when the last time they buzzed him was like three minutes before he jumped. I can just see him standing on the door like, OK, should I do it? Should I not? Should I do it? Should I not? Are you going? Do you need anything? Mm-hmm. He's like, shut up. No, I've got to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Does make me think of uh, I think it's like a Mike Mike Tyson quote. Where it's like everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. It's kind of like this. Like yeah. you have a plan, but until you have to actually jump. Yeah, maybe it was maybe it was just really good at planning everything else. But then yeah, when the part came where he had to do execute the plan, the most difficult part of the plan, he didn't actually know how to do it. I mean, bringing a stick on, of dynamite on a plane at that time was probably not too difficult. Like, staying cool, I guess he could do that too. But jumping out of an airplane is kind of difficult, especially if you've never done it before. Another thing to note, um, just before you guys ask, because I know you're pretty good sleuths here, um, is that you might be wondering, what if you had an accomplice waiting for him on the ground to like help him you know, navigate the stormy winter weather? Well, the thing is, he didn't choose the flight path. He had no input at all on the flight path. He just said, get me to Mexico City. The, the pilot suggested Reno. And there are several flight paths to Reno. They just took, the pilot just chose one at random, which was the normal taken one by civilian airlines. Uh, so he, people hypothesize that there's no way an accomplished should really have been able to know where that plane was flying or even near where Cooper would have jumped. Yeah, that, that logistically would be pretty difficult to, to plan that out. <laughs> it's also pretty dumb if you think about where, what, what his flight path is, because... Well, Reno, Nevada is kind of in, in the desert, and between Reno, Nevada, and, and New Mexico and uh, Mexico City, there's just a whole bunch of desert. Yeah, well, uh, remember, he did jump really close. Uh, still, I think in Washington State, he jumped. So he ended he ended up in like a woodland area. We'll look at it in oh, a second. Okay. Oh, okay. So yeah. even landing his parachute would be kind of difficult because trees all around. There were a bunch of rivers, also a big lake. So it was literally like jumping into Bigfoot country, uh, as mm-hmm. you might know. 
From there on, the FBI launched a huge, massive manhunt for this one guy while to recover his body or see what happened. They actually spent most of early 1972 using over 200, I think, like National Guardsmen and stuff like that, just scouring the forest. You can kind of see all the pine trees in the background, that kind of stuff. But they spent that time and they didn't come up with any single clue, came up with Hmm. nothing at all. And that persisted throughout the, the next five years. Nothing at all submerged. He seemed to have just disappeared into thin air. Additionally, of the money that he stole, they held all the serial numbers of it. However, they never found a single bill of that money that was spent. They even uh, circulated all the serial numbers to the public, and several newspapers began offering like $1,000 if you found one of his $20 bills, stuff like that. Nothing was ever found in public circulation to this day. Hmm. That does go, that does go to, to the idea that he died. Exactly. Because, I mean, if you have that money, you're not just going to sit on it. Maybe he knew that they had all the serial numbers. <laughs> but then why would you do this, right? Just for the for fun the of it. For the thrill of it. <laughs> to be fair, he probably did, because that is pretty standard practice, right? For for most banks to be aware of that, especially if an aircraft, uh, uh, what is it, flying company actually has uh, like a bunch of money that they use for this kind of stuff. And you'd, you'd, you'd expect that they'd have the the serial numbers down of that money because you know that money is going to go one way yeah also like the the fact that he planned out the the speed of the plane so perfectly i feel like something like yeah taking taking the serial number into account he probably would have thought of that but then why did he why did he steal the plane like why what's the weird motive then was he just a frill seeker or just just it randomly could, it, like honestly it could be like <laughs> you never know <laughs> But honest, I mean, he said he has a, had a grudge, so yeah, I feel mm-hmm. like I feel like he definitely wanted. Maybe he just wanted to make a point, and just give something or something. Didn't leave anything behind. Maybe that was the point. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, like, I'm I'm curious, how much money did the FBI spend looking for him? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it was quite a bit. I mean, uh, the case lasted for 45 years. They have, I think, yeah, I think they interviewed over a thousand suspects. Stuff like that, insane numbers, nothing. Maybe, maybe that was the plan: was to just waste uh, FBI money. <laughs> Real disgruntled employee. However, I did say no bills had ever been found in circulation. There have been a few money found of the DB Cooper stash, which the serial numbers were matched and everything else checked out. So this happened almost ten years later in 1980. So this eight-year-old kid named Brian Ingram. Shout out to Brian Ingram, if he's listening. Uh, he was playing in this place called Tina Bay, which was pretty close to, well, it was a it was a, a bit away from where they hypothesized he had jumped because they had exact timing to jump, so they can kind of do a, a quick uh, rough estimation of the jump site. Anyways, he was playing, and he drug up some money in sand, and his parents were like, yo, what, what's this money from? Eventually, they handed it over to like, the police, and they checked it, and they were like, wait, this is the D.B. Cooper money. So they went back to the sand bank and they dug it all up, like the entire bank of sand. Like you can see pictures here and just, just tractoring it all out. But mm-hmm. all they ever found was three bundles of money. It was about like $300 or something in total. That was all they ever found. Mm-hmm. The interesting part of it and the really interesting part of it is that first off, this money was found in a site that was upstream from the place where uh, Cooper would have jumped. Secondly, this money was also more intact than they thought it would have been if he had jumped in 1971. 
So for instance, they were wrapped in plastic bands, which hadn't deteriorated yet, despite those plastic bands deteriorating typically in two to three years. So it's just found in a really weird place. One of the hypotheses that some people have is that it, uh, the way he jumped, he might have landed into a nearby lake and then his body would have been dragged out on a boat and that money would have floated onto the bank and that was all that remained. And then when they reconstructed the bank, it could have shifted somehow, but it's a really, really far stretch. Um, hmm. The better hypothesis some people have is that he came back and buried it there just to screw with people. Yeah, because that's the easiest possible explanation, or the Occam's Razor, as uh, you like to say, Han. Ah, uh, yes, Occam's Razor. It's still, it's still not a very, very Occamsy Razor. It's still not a very simple thing. Like you'd have to survive, not spend the money ever, and then decide. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna fuck with people to by burying it in this random hunk of sand. Like you can fuck with people in so many better, in so many ways that are like more likely to to actually <laughs> get results like th- this dependent on one kid digging up one bill in a mountain of sand like that is not a mm. plan that doesn't sound like a very he could have been running the long con just but it's mm. also weird even if he did survive the fall and he lost a little, and like let's say he didn't survive the fall and he died and this was the evidence of it why did they only find three bundles of money like free random bundles out of like the, I think he had like a few thousand or something probably in his well, bag. To be fair, to be fair, it might be possible that they were just scattered into places that nobody found. Like if he did get fall into a river or something or a lake. Hmm. Yeah, maybe. But if they were scattered, they did a pretty extensive search of the area and no bones, no nothing, nothing in his belongings. Regardless. Let's take a quick look at all the evidence that we have of D.B. Cooper. And then afterwards, we'll kind of say if we think he survived or not. And then we'll get into some suspects. So let's look over the first thing, the plane ticket. So the one clue about the plane ticket he bought is the name that he gave, Dan Cooper. You may realize, and maybe I'll title the episode this way, that he's often called D.B. Cooper. He actually never gave the middle name B. Some newspaper just made it up and it stuck because it sounds cool. (laughs) But... The interesting thing about his name is that in the 1930s, 40s, there was this European or Belgian comic called Dan Cooper, which I put some pictures up there and is about a pilot, a military pilot who was a helitrooper and jumped out of planes. Hmm. Well, people think maybe he took inspiration from that comic and named himself after Dan Cooper. The one issue was it was never really translated into English. So how would he get a copy of this uh, comic? So maybe he was like served in uh, Belgium during World War II or just served overseas. Other people think maybe he was Quebecois or something like that. Um, and then he took had one of his comics via that way. Because one of the things to note is that all the people said he spoke with no distinguishable accents, accent. And you know, us Canadians, we are indistinguishable from Americans beyond our polite manners and uh, tipping culture, I guess. <laughs> you sh- are we sure he didn't say no before he jumped? Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, about the money. sorry. Sorry, madam. I don't have a grudge with you. <laughs> but I feel like there is another explanation of this, which is just, he could just like French and learn it, to be fair. I mean, it, it's still far-fetched, but mm-hmm. is, it yeah, that, like... is it that big of a stretch that an American would learn a second language? I mean, yeah, but... 
according to all the documentaries and stuff I read on this, none of them mentioned, oh, maybe you're just an American who liked it. They, they, the most they've been to is some American serving abroad who picked it up randomly in Belgium and liked it there. Yeah, I mean, maybe, I mean, this was the 70s. This was before the internet was a thing, before everything was everywhere. Um, yeah. So I guess even that, I feel like this could be explained by random chance. Dan Cooper, yeah, like, like why, why, isn't it, why is it so similar? Like, I feel like this is a good comparison. Okay, so you're not going to look for a Canadian at the suspect list. That's what I'm getting from it. <laughs> well, maybe, but maybe Belgian immigrant. Belgian yeah. immigrant. I, I find it interesting, like, how, how they specify, like, no discernible accent. Like, perhaps he practiced. At, you <laughs> maybe. Know, like, yeah. Maybe. It's possible. <laughs> Anyways, we also have remaining uh, on the right-hand side, we have the extra parachute. I went over the parachutes a little bit. This is just kind of one of the clues. Nothing was really lifted from it. There was also a back, the backpack on the side was about the size of the pouch of the money he had. So people kind of theorized he tried strapping it to his chest and then jumping with it. Um, a cool thing to note is that there's a bunch of old people who have nothing better to do in the time but obsess over D.B. Cooper. And some of these are actually pilots. And they have done a few experiments of trying to jump out of a plane with a bag of money strapped to them. Fake money. Oh, my God. And... From all the discernible tests, and keep in mind, these people are like 60. Um, the conclusion was... They all died. <laughs> no, they, they survived. But <laughs> apparently, he couldn't do it without letting go of the money. So maybe Cooper jumped, lost the money, and was like, oh, screw it, and then just disappeared that way. Because I think that might be somewhat feasible if he just didn't get his payday. Because that explains the money not being used and maybe the bills being found. But Maybe yeah. maybe he just dropped like as much as he needed to drop and then just kind of scattered yeah. it in the wind, and then the rest of it. It's like I only back. needed a twenty, you know. <laughs> I uh, yeah, I do think like the the likelihood of him dropping it is probably pretty high because of just the the stormy night and yeah. Um, it's one thing to parachute out into a stormy night, and then doing it while you're holding a bunch of money. <laughs> yeah, no. it might it might just be that he he kept as much as he could keep for the jump and then just got and then the rest just kind of ended up in random places so like with mm -hmm. the kid and the other thing that was remained he apparently wore a clip-on tie and that's also what he left behind they also at one point in time had eight cigarette butts apparently so smoked eight cigarettes first thing is they lost those cigarette butts <laughs> the fbi so <laughs> job, FBI. fucking idiots <laughs> they had four pieces of evidence but no lost no no, no. we have three pieces of evidence <laughs> They did lift some basic, like, uh, uh, DNA and, like, uh, I think some fingerprints. I think it was mainly DNA, I think, from the tie or somewhere else. Um, anyways, they had some DNA uh, that they also used. Well, we'll talk about when we get to some suspects. The first, yeah, this is profile. I'm sorry, I just I just love the sunglasses on the profile. It makes it, makes it look like such a badass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was wearing those, right? Yeah, he had sunglasses you put on occasionally or something like that. But yeah, so the first suspect I want to talk about, <laughs> I thought this is hilarious. And almost none of the stuff that I watched mentioned this. I just found in some random news articles, but this is legitimate to happen. The first suspect the FBI had was this man named M. Cooper or Michael Cooper. So apparently on this plane of 36 passengers, there was a second Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> I know. So... Uh, he was a high school teacher, I think from Portland or somewhere. Um, he just got on the plane to take a flight for Thanksgiving or something like that. 
So when he got off the plane, nobody knew the plane got hijacked. So they got called into a room and the FBI did a roll call. And they were like, okay, this person, this, like, to find out who was the hijacker who stole the money. So they were like, this person, this person, uh, D. Cooper, is he on board? D. Cooper. And then the guy's like, uh, I'm a M. Cooper, if you have that. And the FBI's like, yeah, sure, check. They got to M. Cooper and they couldn't find an M. Cooper. So <laughs> the FBI screwed up doing basic roll call and thought this guy, Michael Cooper, was actually the suspect. So, oh, oh boy. <laughs> apparently in 1970, the FBI also didn't keep these people too long because he headed back home. And lo and behold, <laughs> here is his account of what happened when he got home. Does one of you want to read this quote? Go ahead, Brian. All right. Uh, the top news story, of course, was the hijacking, he said. I was watching the footage when one of those messages appeared along the bottom of the screen saying the FBI was seeking Michael Cooper, a high school teacher from Missoula, Montana, in connection with the hijacking. This can't be true, Cooper said to himself, and I just got up and went to bed. <laughs> it was just too much for me to deal with. Oh, my God. Yeah, so imagine getting home after a flight, turning on the TV, and seeing you're wanted for a hijacking of a plane. <laughs> I love that response. Yeah, just you know, I'm just I'll, I'll just see you tomorrow. We'll we'll see. We'll figure it out when I've gotten some sleep. That's fair enough. That's a good <laughs> attitude, I think, to everything. This guy was just done. <laughs> Look, I had a long flight, and the FBI is after me for a plane uh, for a plane heist. Let me please sleep. It's also funny because it also had replications because they called his work as well, stuff like that. Apparently, he had taken off early that day without really telling anybody from work. He was like, yo, can you watch my class? I'm, I got to catch a flight. So here's a quote from uh, his boss. Uh, Han, do you want to read this one? All right. Uh, so the FBI agent, oh, no, wait, the boss, uh, Cooper's boss, remembers the late night telephone call. The FBI agent was most empathic. He said that they had positive identification that Mike Cooper had hijacked an airplane between Seattle and Portland. My brain was reeling, Harbo said. I remember thinking, you mean Mike Cooper checked out of school early to hijack an airplane? Say what? <laughs> <laughs> Say what? Things you don't know about your coworkers. Yeah. yeah. He seemed so nice. <laughs> the next day, the FBI realized their mistake and was like, okay. We got to look for a D. Cooper now. Apparently, Michael Cooper was a bit pissed off. And that's why he gave all these interviews, uh, because they never apologized to him. They just stopped <laughs> looking for him one day. <laughs> they never said, sorry, man, for like doing a statewide manhunt on you. <laughs> that does kind of sound like the FBI. But on the other hand, it is a really good pickup line. That's true. Hey, I'm wanted by the FBI. This is a... <laughs> <laughs> They're not searching anymore. They're not searching anymore, but... I used to be. Fun, fun fact. What I want to do with each of these kind of suspects we have, I want to give you, let you guys kind of rate how likely this was actually D.B. Cooper. Let's say out of 10, because that's what you do. So 10 being a pause identification and one being completely not at all. So for our man, Mike Cooper, do you think it was D.B. Cooper? Zero out of 10. Zero, yeah. <laughs> Easily a zero. It's just a guy. <laughs> <laughs> unless, unless D.B. Cooper played the greatest <laughs> trick ever and somehow managed to do something I mean, like that. that. that that'd be some some usual suspects kind of shit. He's just like, yeah, he's gone. That'd be real magic. One of my theories that stuck to me while I was doing the research is 
the name D.B. Cooper or Dan Cooper, nobody knows where it came from, maybe the comics. But I think maybe he was standing in line behind Mike Cooper when he was filling a ticket. And he was getting a name and he's like, yo, Cooper, let, let me screw with this guy in front of me. And he took that last name. Um, mm-hmm. Honestly, could, that could be. That, that's yeah, it does honestly seem kind of plausible, yeah. And keep in mind, one of the one of the ones we'll get to eventually, his name was Dan himself. So maybe. Anyways, sorry. I, I it might be, but it might also. Be, I, I feel like he'd be prepared enough to have a name. Like you, you know, you're gonna have to fill in a name. So he probably had something in mind already. I don't think he'd make it up on the spot. Although that is pretty cool. If you if you're like, no, nah, I'll figure something out. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll worry about just, that. Just try it. lying about your name. It's pretty difficult. Like if you're not a good liar, it's kind of difficult to say you're something else. It's a pretty mm-hmm. big lie. I guess so. Yeah. So first real suspect. This man was named Kenneth Porter Christensen. Uh, he was a flight attendant who worked for Northwest Airlines. So this checks the flight knowledge and knowing planes, stuff like that box. And the grudge. He does, because apparently he was getting pay cuts from the Northwest Airlines, despite being a dutiful employee. He was actually suggested as a suspect by his brother, uh, Lyle Christensen, who watched a documentary on D.B. Cooper and was like, yo, my brother was the man. Um, he had a few other pieces of circumstantial evidence. He smoked, and he also liked to drink bourbon. That was his drink of choice. Ah, uh, yes, because no one back then yeah, just, drank was just or smoked. No, 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 that, that is very particular. <laughs> um, additionally, according to his brother, he suspiciously bought a big house with unspecified amounts of money shortly after the crime. But where was this, this brother? I don't know. I didn't say that much about the brother. Um, however, I will say the brother tried to sell the story as a book somewhere. Um, so maybe there's a bit mm. of a bias going on. Anyways, the FBI Probably. rejected this candidate, saying there was no physical resemblance to D.B. Cooper. And they said they had a pretty strong profile. So, yeah, I, I will say, unfortunately, the man next to the D.B. Cooper FBI composite is not quite as handsome as D.B. Cooper. So, Yeah, exactly. So, what do you guys think? Is our man, Kenneth Christensen, is, is he our D.B. Cooper? Uh, I'll give it a one. I don't... He had the grudge. Like he had the knowledge. Yeah, I think it's just one of those uh, coincidental things, and then, and then a, a relative just trying to sell a story. Yeah, that, that's what I think too. I mean, it, I'll give it maybe like a two. I like I could see this happen in some some universe, but it seems pretty implausible. Yeah. Okay. Next one. This man is named Dwayne Weber uh, slash John C. Collins. I'll get into this flash in a second. Uh, so he was a World War II Army vet. Uh, he also served time in at least six prisons from 1945 to 1968 or something, uh, mainly for burglary and forgery. So he had some knowledge of sums of money. The re- reason he popped onto the radar is because several days before he died, he held his uh, widow's hand and he was like, my dear widow, Joe, I have a secret to tell you. I'm D.P. Cooper. And... <laughs> Her response was, what? I can't hear you. Speak up. Who's that? And then he replied, ah, screw it. Let it die with me. Being quite annoyed. <laughs> how was, how, but how was it recorded if she was if she didn't hear it? I, well, she heard the name D.B. Cooper and she's like, who's that, honey? I don't know who that is. <laughs> and then she got quite annoyed. Also, hey. did he actually say my widow? <laughs> oh, my widow. I, 
the quote is I am DB Cooper. I may have lavished some of the details around it, but oh my, oh my oh my soon-to-be widow, I am dying. <laughs> so Shakespearean. <laughs> Very. Anyways, she did some digging, Joe. I mean, she needed to do something while she had some free time in her retirement, which I guess a lot of these cases end up retired people doing their own sleuth work. But she did make some discoveries. Um she discovered her husband had a secret second identity uh, by the name of John C. Collins. And apparently this second identity, John C. Collins, had he had a rented a room that night under that name uh, in a Portland motel the night of the skyjacking. So he was in the area. Under a fake name as well. Exactly. And the lead FBI agent on the case, uh, Ralph Himmelsbach, he'll come up again. Uh, Han, do you want to read uh, his uh, quote about Weber? Uh, Weber? does fit the physical description and does have the criminal background that I've always felt was associated with the case. Hmm. Mm. Suspicious. Eventually, uh, the FBI said his fingerprints and DNA did not match the ones on record, but knowing how shoddy this evidence can be at times, perhaps. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think? Dwayne Weaver is your man. Hmm. Uh, I mean, in terms of background definitely I, I think he's definitely the strongest so far of absolutely the three. uh and the whole double double identity thing that's uh it's pretty interesting that kind of kind of tracks but i don't know i don't know how much he like he, he does kind of look like him the the composite sketch compared to the picture of the guy but there's still like the his eyebrows are too thick Way too thick. <laughs> might, have, might have grown him out. That's that, true. If that's your method of hiding from committing a big crime, growing out your eyebrows, I, I think you need a better <laughs> disguise. Well, to be fair, it's the first thing Ryan notices. So. <laughs> I grow yeah. my eyebrows. No, no, no. You can't be the same guy. Your eyebrows are way too thick. He looks a little like that actor. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, are you thinking of the Canadian one? No, no. The oh, one the one from... with the really thick eyebrows, the Canadian one. No, I, I, the guy from Jurassic Park, and uh, he was in the new four movie. Oh, Jeff Goldblum? Yeah, a little. Well, kind of. Yes. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Passing yeah. But he does look a bit like the guy from Shit's Creek. Yeah, that's yeah, who I was thinking of. I can't remember his name. Only Canadian show I've ever seen. Oh, you got to watch more. What's your rating on Dwayne Weaver out of 10? Han, go. I'll give it a six. Like, plausible. Plausible. Okay. Ryan? I was thinking four or five. You okay. see, I think I think we're because I'm thinking in European grading systems, I don't know if you have those. Like, a six is, is barely barely a pass for me. So. Uh, yeah, like, five, five is passing. Oh, uh, okay, still. I thought you had A's or F's and that kind of stuff. Yeah, like a, a 50 is a... Uh, I guess it depends. Regardless, that's not arguing the metrics. <laughs> <not relevant>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's, let's not go down that path. <laughs> Next guy. Is this the right guy? Sorry. What is that? What is that, that picture? That guy looks very this, off. Very okay, they didn't have that. didn't have that many pictures of him, but his nose kind of matches. But regardless, <laughs> this man was named Lynn Doyle Cooper, or L.D. Cooper. Suspicious, right? He was a letter worker and a, v and a Korean War veteran, so he had some experience of, you know, in the Korean War, paratrooping, etc. 
The bulk of this evidence comes from his then eight-year-old niece, Martha Cooper, who in 1971 remembers her uncle, uh, so L.D. Cooper, as well as another uncle of hers, talking about hijacking a plane and saying, that's going to set us out forever, or we're going to, all our money troubles will be over. Uh, he also mentioned they were pre preparing something mischievous, uh, and uh, in including the use of walkie-talkies. Oh, no. What schemes abound? <laughs> yeah. Anyways, he did live 150 kilometers from Portland, so he was in the area. We could theoretically have, you know, coordinated maybe walkie-talkies. The next day, the day after the hijacking, apparently he came home with a bloody shirt, which was suspicious. Never oh. elaborated. Um, and also, apparently, he was a big fan of the Dan Cooper comics. Okay. And to top it all off, after Christmas 1971, Martha Cooper never saw her uncle again. 1971? Yeah, the year of the... That happened at Thanksgiving. So, like a month later, never saw her again. Oh, well, didn't it happen in 72? Did, um, did I maybe mess up once? It was 71. My apologies. All right. Oh, okay. No, I also might have... Anyways, what do we think of Lindoyle Cooper, LD Cooper? Hmm. Well, an eight-year-old girl's testimony isn't really super, super convincing. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, first, first impression was like a zero or a one, but some of the details are interesting. Maybe a four. Yeah, I think I'll go with a five. Like slightly less than the last guy, but okay, I'll take it. I'll take it. Off to the next one. This one, um, his name is Richard McCoy Jr. He served in Vietnam as a demolitions expert and a pilot, and he was also an avid skydiver. So he wasn't really a suspect on a day of the case, but we have to go forward in time a bit to April 1972, so six months after the D.B. Cooper hijacking. Uh, that day, he decided to take a flight on a Boeing 727. There, in the plane, he uh, grabbed out a fake gun and a hand grenade and was like, yo, I'm hijacking this plane. Give me $500,000 in cash as well as four parachutes. So uh, he got the parachutes, basically exact same thing D.B. Cooper did, and jumped out of the plane. And he made it, he landed it alive. Although this time, apparently he brought his own, uh, his own jumping gear. Like he came onto the plane with like his diving helmet and like suit. <laughs> <laughs> so he was a bit better prepared. So I think the FBI even said something like, if somebody would have done it, they should have done it like McCoy did, where he actually brought their diving gear. The other funny part about this, apparently he hitchhiked back after jumping out of the plane. So some random like passenger by, I imagine, just saw him standing in the field with a bag of money and a parachute and just picked him up. Yeah. <laughs> Which is pretty incredible. And sorry, was this before or after? Six months D. after. Uh, it was apparently allegedly inspired by D.B. Cooper. Like several of his friends attested that he was like, yo, if I, if I did what Cooper did, I would have asked for $500,000. Stuff like yeah. that. And I mean, he well, did. Gotta commend him for sticking to his guns, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyways, he was a pretty, you know, civic person. But uh, the cops started putting two and two together. And he was arrested two days later for the crime. He was actually arrested while he was he, while he was in the National Guard flying a helicopter looking for John McCoy. Oh, <laughs> wow. The guy who robbed the plane. Oh, wow. Uh, classic. <laughs> so he, he was sentenced to 45 years in prison, but he escaped a bit early in 1974. Uh, again, he used a fake gun, this time made out of uh, dental paste. Uh, <laughs> Wait, what? 
<laughs> yeah. He commandeered a garbage truck and escaped to prison. Um, and he was killed four months later in a shootout with the FBI while he's trying to rob a bank. Wow. wow. This, this guy, I feel like this this is not D.B. Cooper because he's just way too flashy. He's, he's more like, yeah. a, like a thug, just gun swinging, grenades and shit. Apparently, in a 2021 documentary, his wife uh, or his late wife and his children admitted that he was D.B. Cooper and that his wife was a bit in the background helping with the planning. And apparently their sister had babysat the children for him because his alibi was when the FBI came knocking around that, oh, no, he wasn't here. He was at home with me with my children. Well, actually, the children were with the sister and he was just out with his wife robbing a plane. I don't know about that. I... The, the, the thing that makes me doubt this one most is that he actually took the military parachute instead of the, regu- the regular one. Like, why, if he's an avid skydiver, he, would, <clears throat> he wouldn't go for that one. Exactly. Like, this definitely seems like it's just a copycat person and yeah. then the family trying to cash in on a mystery again. It, it does kind of look like it, but he's also, like, his eyes are way flappier. Like yeah, okay. and again, again, the eyebrows. <laughs> again, match. again, the damn eyebrows. Might have still grown them out. Maybe I'm thinking the DB Cooper one was like a test run where perhaps he tried to do it without his diving suit. He tried to do it taking the military shoot and then he just lost the money and was like, screw it. I'm going to try it next month and then ask for double. And then he actually hmm. did it. I don't know. It just seems odd that he would try it without the suit in the first place. I feel like that's something yeah, an avid parachuter would consider from the beginning. And, and, and again, like a, he's just a co- copycatting. So he saw what someone else did, saw the flaws and corrected for them. But even then I wonder like, how, how did he jump with $500,000? Cause that, that's well, a he lot survived of the first time. Like he, he got away. They found the money in his apartment. Yeah, no, what I mean, like, how did he jump out of the airplane? He just took the back stairwell. <laughs> Same thing Cooper did. Well, yeah, but, but didn't, didn't the other, like, the older people that had experience try it out with jumping with that much money? And not, not... Uh, well, the conditions were much better, apparently, too, in this one. Like, it wasn't during Christmas time. I mean, during, yeah. like, the winter. Yeah, um, okay, I guess. I guess He also had double the money as well. Yeah, um, so. Maybe he asked for better bills. I'm not sure, but apparently he did. <laughs> he got it in hundreds. <laughs> yeah, this time he knew. <laughs> Anyway, let's let's rank our man. Uh, let's rank, let's rank our man Richard McCoy Jr. Hmm. I'm not so sure about this one. I mean, maybe like a five. I'll put him in between the other two. I yeah, five or six to be generous. I'm pretty convinced he's just a copycat. Uh, okay, copycat person. But you know, props to him for succeeding. <laughs> sort of. Oh, he sort of, away, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no, but like, <laughs> but the fact that we actually know this much about him is is just interesting to me. I like the garbage truck escape, though. That's, that's pretty bold. Yeah, I mean, he's a resourceful guy, clearly. Yeah, I mean, I like the gun made out of toothpaste. That is, <laughs> that is that's fucking clever. awesome. That is very, I mean, I wouldn't even know how to start with making a gun out of toothpaste, <laughs> toothpaste let alone make it convincing. But he does look a little bit like a dentist. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that was his background. Was a no, dentist. He, wasn't. he was just like a army guy. Could yeah. have been a dentist in the army. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Here's a guy. This one, I even a picture of him in a parachute. His name is Ted Mayfield. Uh, Teddy, my man over here, a special forces v- a veteran, a pilot, a 
a competitive skydiver. He was also a skydiving instructor. He had been arrested for armed robbery in his youth. And in his later years, um, he got arrested quite a few times because apparently um, several of his students, while he was instructing them, died in a failed parachute thing. But uh, that's neither here nor there. So, yeah, he was suspected from the beginning by the FBI chief, um, the FBI, the lead FBI agent, Hammersfield. Apparently, they had a personal, like, vendetta against each other, and they, like, scruffled a few times, and, you know, they didn't have a good relationship. So, he's the first guy that came to mind. But he was ruled out. Guess why he was ruled out? He was too fat. Alibi? He had an alibi. He personally called Hammersfield two hours after the Flight 305 landed, call him for just for some random reason for nothing in, in particular he just ended up randomly phoning up his arch nemesis uh, himmelbach being like hey yo what's up how are you doing uh, <laughs> hey fuck you yeah, exactly. <laughs> just i just wanted to tell you you're a fucking asshole <laughs> <laughs> yeah so their logic himmelbach's logic was he could not have possibly called me only four hours to jump out of a plane in the middle of nowhere run to a phone and call me yeah imagine what also what i mean imagine if that did happen though how how fucking clever is that like how how many chess moves is this guy ahead that he would do that just jump down look for the first uh, first phone you can find and call the guy you think is going to be leading this uh this investigation or something and just call him an ass or something like yeah that'll make it (laughs) so that this is so implausible i'll never buy it but the, there are some people who say he could theoretically have done it in that time frame and that, that Himmelbach should have actually investigated him a bit more and he might have done it. So maybe it could have worked. Hmm. It, it, might, it might just depend on where he landed, right? Because he couldn't steer it. And then it's also just, hmm. he just jumped out of the random plot spots. So <laughs> I feel like that's that's not something that could have been part of his plan. He could have mapped out where the nearest uh, payphone was. Yeah, but how could he have mapped out that? I, like, he jumped out at the random time because he didn't know the the flight path. And he also had a parachute he couldn't steer, so... Maybe he got lucky. Like, he did yeah. have two hours after the plane landed. Like, ideally, he should have called while the plane was in the air or something. Right, right, two hours. Like, how, how long well, was it? He could just gone to some random person's house be like, yo, you want 100 bucks? Let me use your phone. And then, yeah, let me use your phone. Yeah, there's a giant bag of money on my back and I'm just going to pull up. That, that, that is convincing. <laughs> yeah. No one's going to no think that's suspicious. Ryan, you seem deep in thought. Is this one tickling your fancy a bit? This is uh, because before we started digging into this more, or like as, as, we, as we started talking about D.B. Cooper... I've had it in my mind that like he's he's just one of the greatest trolls in history. Like a guy who who did it didn't do it for the money. He did it just to to fuck with people. And this this is kind of funny to me. Like that he he had like this professional rivalry. Like maybe this was all just to, <laughs> to fuck with this was, guy. Was this the grudge? Was that the grudge he was mentioning? Yeah, just to fuck with Himmel's vibe. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, I just have a grudge this FBI agent who I'm gonna embarrass for the rest of his, his uh, professional career because him. Yeah, like that's did spend... that's pretty f- funny to me, <laughs> like, especially the call afterwards too. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. I I don't think I I don't think I really believe it's him, but you want to. It's, this is you the funniest to. one yeah. to me, and I want to believe it. Okay, well, what do you rate it though, Ryan? Because I'm gonna press you. I'll, I'll say seven, a solid seven. That's good. It's a B, B average student, you know? 
I, I think it's still below the the, the first one I, I we talked. The, the first one I thought was pretty plausible, so I'm gonna rack it below that, like a six, yeah, six ish, slightly less maybe. Okay, so I have to picture the tie up again because I'm gonna throw its banner in the works. Some new evidence emerges. So, led by Tom Hay, there were a bunch of older retired people who had too much time on their hands. And apparently, the FBI was so stumped for clues in like a few years ago, they were like, yo, have this tie, do something with it, fun. So, they ran the tie through a radio spectrometer. Of course they did. They, they like, ran it through an electron microscope. That's the first thing one should do when you have a clip-on tie. Absolutely. Why wouldn't you? They found on the tie some suspicious particles. So apparently it contained particles of pure titanium, which was extremely rare in the 1970s. And it also contained rare earth metals such as carnium and strontium sulfide, uh, which had only a few applications. One of those was uh, being the supersonic transport development project at Boeing. And the other one was uh, some catholic uh, ray tubes or something like that. So hmm. with this information in mind, let's look at a few more suspects. This dapper, smiling man we see here was, a, according to one FBI agent who interviewed him, she said he was the most interesting suspect she had ever interviewed in her FBI career. Hmm. His name was Sheridan Peterson. Notice Sheridan. Sheridan. Dan. And he went by Dan. Ah, uh, yeah. He served in the Marine Corps during World War II and was later employed as a technical editor at Boeing. He was also quite a bit of a frill seeker. He was apparently an experienced smoke jumper, which he did basically for fun. Guess what a smoke jumper is, if you've never heard of it. Jump through smoke. <laughs> Into smoke? I, uh... While smoking? So back in America, in that area, they had large forest fires sometimes. So apparently sometimes they want oh. forest uh, firefights to be dropped behind the, for the fire. So they would have these guys fly them over with a parachute and then jump behind the forest fire so they can fight the forest fire from behind. So he did that basically oh, for fun. Okay. That is pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty. I never knew it existed, but it's pretty badass. Mm. He, so yeah, a reputation taking a lot of physical risks. He also uh, had a physical appearance, apparently. And he also had a similar age, so around 40, mid-40s around the time when the crime had happened. And a cool thing, while at Boeing, he apparently parachuted for a promotional like video or something they were shooting, dressed in only a business suit, uh, while carrying a 50-pound sack of wheat strapped to his legs. <laughs> <laughs> so he had done this before, in some sense. That'll be a lot of wheat. That is a, that is a that is a lot of wheat. Holy shit! He also had a grudge this time against the U.S. government. Ah, uh, don't we all? He, while he was in Vietnam, he was asked to leave Vietnam by the U.S. ambassador at the time because of his undying advocacy for the South Vietnamese people. I don't know how that's connected to hijacking an airplane, but he had a grudge. Interesting. I feel, yeah, I feel like that grudge yeah. might be too broad. but Yeah. However, one last thing, though, is that he had an alibi, unfortunately. Do you want to guess where he was in this alibi? He was smoke jumping. Mexico City. Too close to home. Vietnam. South Vietnam. Well, yeah, Vietnam. Closer. He was apparently actually in Nepal, raising two children in a mud hut while writing his accounts of South Vietnamese atrocities committed by U.S. soldiers. What the fuck? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And apparently that was enough to get him off on this. What do you think? 
Mm. Being being literally on the other side of the planet is it is an alibi? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Seems suspicious. Yeah. Too convenient. Too <laughs> Why would he have two kids in a hut in Nepal? That doesn't sound plausible at all. No. Also, also, you can see on the picture on the right, it's got a mole right right below his mouth. Oh yeah, that's true. I thought that was a smudge on my screen at first. I think <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's a mole, which is not represented on the picture. And as everyone knows, moles are, are the first thing you see. So this this is mm -hmm. this is not the guy. This this can't be the guy. Also, while his eyebrows look look <laughs> more reasonable, uh, the shape of his face it doesn't taper off to the no, chin. He's got he? a more rounded jaw. He's also too droopy. Like his eyes and nose are all a bit more droopy than than, mm -hmm. yeah, than, than the, the picture. I will say he doesn't look like a guy who spent time in a mud hut in Nepal. Like he looks like a banker. I mean, what does? <laughs> yeah, what does that like? Good question. I, anyone? I, I will say, I just personally, when I was reading for all the suspects, I kind of thought this one fitted the most, just because he did, you know, do a lot of these jumps. He was a frill seeker. Mm. He just seemed like the guy who uh, was bored one day and decided to do it. But yeah, he, like I think, I think background wise, it definitely seems the strongest, but. Uh, I don't think so. I think he like there's too many structural differences in the uh, in the face. You're putting a lot of emphasis uh, on the on the composite, though. But well, it is like because like you said earlier, um, they had a really good composite yeah. because they spent so much time with him. They they have a really solid idea of what he looks like. So yeah. uh, I think unless this guy got some reconstructive surgery, which <laughs> I don't know how advanced it would have been back then. I uh, I don't think so. Maybe maybe they've got some really good facilities in Nepal in the mud hut. <laughs> in the mud that's, hut. That's what they've been hiding in Nepal in the mud huts. That's just the, the world class face re reconstructing mm. plastic surgery. So final ratings on Sheldon Peterson. Dan yeah, Sheldon. Gotta gotta go with a zero. Gotta gotta go with a zero on that one. You couldn't that zero is, on this yeah. one. I'm yeah, this, yeah. this one was the one I thought was most likely, to be honest. Really? Oh, this one is the least plausible by, by yeah. long by, by far. Maybe this says yeah. a lot about me then. <laughs> I don't know. I, I was thinking, yeah, this also like despite his background, I think he has by far the strongest alibi, seeing as how he was thousands of miles away. <laughs> He just said that, though, I think. Like, I don't know if they actually tracked on his plane ticket or anything. I'm sure they tracked some aspect of the story. They lost, just like, think. a quarter of the evidence in this case. Okay, I'm not saying there's not some incompetencies, <laughs> but... There's plenty. There's plenty of, like... Uh, yeah, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> uh, whatever, I'm not... It's your guys who are... You guys are the Jerry here. But uh, the, uh, I think the mole gives it away. Yeah, I think the mole is... That. Couldn't have been the guy. Everyone, if like, what is the, if you if you look at a guy and you're like, oh, you gotta describe him. What you gotta you got you're always gonna look at like the the deviant features of somebody's face. So you're gonna say, oh, he had a beard and had a long nose and a and a mole or something like that. Mm -hmm. These are the features that stick. I don't think his mole was that bad. And if I was gonna describe him, I would not even mention the mole. I would just hands maybe up. Maybe that's maybe that's yeah, me. I, I think I would describe it as well. Like if especially the people that spent. Like four hours on a flight being hijacked by this suave Maybe guy. He <laughs> sat on the other side of the seat so he didn't see them all. What? Oh, he never looked he never looked to the side. He just sat he just sat next to her and just talked like talked like this to her. Yeah, the flight attendant even specified that. <laughs>
she uh, specified that in her account. So he, he happened to never look uh, on the left he, side. He of might screen. have looked looked a bit like Two Face from Batman. I would not yeah. be able to say for sure. Okay, this last guy I'm gonna go through. His name is William J. Smith, and he's a favorite of more modern DB Cooperers or DB Cooper enthusiasts for some reason. DB Coopers. Yeah. Anyways, he was also a World War II vet, um, and he worked at a railroad, which people thought was significant for two reasons. One, he could hop on and off trains because he would have this expert knowledge of the American train system to escape pretty quickly, explaining when nobody ever saw him again, which, okay. to be honest, I thought any of these guys could have probably done. But uh, Was there a rail nearby? I, they just said that somewhere, and I'm like, I took that face value. The second reason <laughs> it was important is because they said that his tie might have picked up on these materials while working at a rail yard, which was plausible at the time. That does seem more plausible, definitely. Mm-hmm. He was also fired in 1970 uh, because his co- the railroad company was failing, maybe due to the advent of airplanes coming around and taking all those jobs. Uh, maybe, no, I don't know. But that, that could have been the <laughs> That seems much more dubious to me. I mean, it could be. It's like airliners took, took my job, so I'm going to take the money back from took the airline. Took my train job. <laughs> maybe it was like passenger train job. I, I think it was more at a shipping yard, but regardless... Really loved his trains. <laughs> took it. Anyways, the last piece of evidence that in his high school yearbook he had a classmate uh, who died in World War II, um, and his name was Ira Daniel Cooper. I don't know. <laughs> this one seems weird. Like, yeah, you know what? I'm gonna rob a bank and I'm gonna give a fake name. You know what? Let's use the one from my dead friend as an homage. That's, yeah, like, is or is there even any any evidence that they were friends? Like, it could just be a guy. It was from just the side. some some like one of these old people I think found in one of his yearbooks. Honestly, oh my I god, think people have too much time. They went through his yearbooks. Holy yeah, shit! Like, and half of them live in like Arizona. I'm like, of course you're doing this. There's nothing to do there. Anyway, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, let's let's yeah. read this last guy. Nah, zero. zero. Really, that's not plausible. you guys not are plausible. really pessimistic about this. No, we're 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 not pessimistic. We're critical. The only strong piece of evidence is the uh, tie, like the material from the ties. Like I can see how, like on a rail, like working on a railroad, and you can get that. But grudge doesn't make any sense. And then the what he happened to know someone with the last name Cooper in his entire life. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I will yeah. say. You guys are much more pessimistic than the counts I was watching. So now I'm like, okay, maybe there is a reason why these were never seriously considered by the FBI or whatever. Uh, whatever. <laughs> You've just been, this, is, this is the risk of doing any kind of conspiratorial podcast, man. You're getting sucked in. Yeah. And like, heck, using, using half the evidence for this guy, I, I knew someone named Cooper in elementary school. <laughs> Oh no! Does I've, that mean I've played, I'm Ryan? I've played, a, I've played a video game once with a guy called Cooper. Oh jeez! Oh, yeah, and I, I've, Maybe... I've heard of people called Dan. <laughs> oh, Han Dan. Had, uh, was was it me? I was I DB Cooper. Maybe. Uh-huh. Maybe, maybe we're in a conspiracy here. Maybe, so. maybe I'm I'm I, I'm also I'm not just DB Cooper, but I'm also the time travel guy, and I just mm. travel through time to do the DB Cooper shit. Yeah, <laughs> nice. Well, the DB Cooper case had like a lasting legacy. Um, do you want to read what our guy Himmelsbuck said about? Uh, sorry about <laughs> this case. 
I'd love to. Go for it, right? <laughs> he used foul language to the stewardess, Himmelsbach said, according to a 1996 story in the San Francisco Chronicle. He's a sleazy, rotten scumbag, and I hope he died a miserable, wretched death. <laughs> wow. Himmelsbach has been, been go, is going off on this guy. What kind of foul yeah. language did he use? Uh, <laughs> and I love, <laughs> like, contrasting that with the stewardess's account. He was really nice. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I just love the image of, like, Mayfield just sitting there like, ha. <laughs> I love you. Yeah, <laughs> see, I like that. Rattled. The Mayfield rattled. one is even stronger to me now knowing this <laughs> that, that he actually he, he did manage to get to him he did it yeah <laughs> he's pretty pissed <laughs> he seems pretty pretty broken up about it what 25 years later and out of all things it's the foul language to the stewards <laughs> yeah. i think this is just the last half of the quote but yeah i just thought it's funny what did he even say but by all accounts like ryan was saying all the stewards like polite guy really nice guy didn't strike me as an air pirate guy at all. Well, I mean, maybe you just said damn somewhere. I have a, I have a, I don't give a damn or something. And then, uh, yeah, back then, I mean, that it's was just the seventies in the U.S. Like, like people are, people were strange, an odd place. I will introduce a third theory, um, which doesn't have as much traction, but I think there's some credible evidence. And I'm kind of like make, I kind of made it up as it went along. Well, I didn't make it up, but I put points together. Oh, but what okay. if this was an inside job? As in, I will point out the evidence. They could have just easily wrote a ticket, had maybe some guy dress up. Like he sat in the back. People didn't really notice him whatsoever. Maybe the, they didn't even know the plane was being hijacked. When they landed in uh, Portland, he closed all the curtains. He d- denied meetings of any negotiating people. Nobody saw him except for the airplane crew. And this also explains why they never found the body. They never found the money. You know, split it amongst each other. Perfect crime. Uh, an elaborate, like insurance scheme. I don't know. Like, because well, would that? Well, no. Like, would the money from the bank would it have been uh, covered by the government or something? I don't know. My thought is that maybe they didn't know that the money was gonna be like counted, and then later on somebody was like, "Yeah, we'll catch it. The money's all been marked or something," <laughs> and they were like, "Oh." <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I mean, to be fair, he does sound kind of larger than life, the character of D.B. Cooper, which means that maybe it was made up. Like that could indicate to the like he was just too cool, and that you see this stewardess yeah. is trying to explain it, like, oh yeah, he said, I don't have a grudge with you, miss. I have a, I just have a grudge. And just like, imagining this 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 James Bond esque figure. Maybe you should just watch James Bond recently. It's like yeah. Maybe it was all a fever dream. Maybe it was. Maybe it, maybe they just ran through a cloud of some weird shit, yeah. chemtrails or something, and it just it, uh, turned yeah, them all. <laughs> it does. Uh, it does sound like a Twilight Zone episode. It mm. does. Like, yeah. Apparently, I, I haven't seen this show yet, but apparently that Loki TV show from uh, Disney. Yes. They have yes. him posing as D.B. Cooper and just disappearing, like time traveling afterwards. Really? I, I yeah, that's so. what they. Uh, yeah, I've seen the episode. They basically they just. I don't know, like Thor makes him do it for whatever reason, because he lost a bet or something. <laughs> then, oh my God. I know. That's the only reason I wanted to see that show. But I have two more quick points I want to mention, and then we'll get into our final mm-hmm. thoughts, you know. 
because uh, we're going for quite a I was like I was telling him before to shoot uh, before we started recording. I was like, we're going to do this a bit quicker, but I know this has been a fun one. We're going for an hour and a half, yo. Um, anyways, first off, DB Cooper case had major ramifications for the U.S. airplane industry. Um, so after the DB Cooper hijacking, there was a noted uptake in airplane hijackings. An extreme <laughs> noted uptake because the template that DB Cooper laid out was really easy to follow. You just get a 727, jump out the back, and you can probably survive. And it was quite easy to do. Like in 1972 alone, there were 31 hijackings. The majority of those were demanding money, DB Cooper style, jumping out the back. And most of them actually survived and got a little while before the FBI caught them. Oh, wow. This was yeah. not a very good thing. So they ended up doing a few things. First off, they introduced on the 727s a DB Cooper switch, which is basically a switch on the tail on the on the rear staircase, which prevented it from being opened during flight because it didn't <laughs> need to be opened during flight. Why would you ever need to open it during flight? <laughs> so, <laughs> that solved a lot of the issues. And secondly, uh, they also introduced bag checks to airports to check for bombs because nobody had the idea to do that beforehand. That's uh, that's interesting to me that it would take that long before. I love the naivete of, of, of that time. Like, oh, well, surely nobody would take a gun into an airplane and shoot people with it. Yeah. That would be ever so ghastly. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, it's, it's a major turning point because as you were saying earlier, Han, you know, 9-11 caused the major changes. No, it was actually D.B. Cooper who first caused like the first major changes in airplane, like, you know, security. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. Maybe here's a new theory. Maybe he was just a concerned citizen who noticed how lax security was, and uh, he took it into his own hands. He he was he was just trying to help. It's like an old school. It's it's like an old school version of ethical hackers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, nobody got hurt during this. White hat plane jacker. <laughs> yeah, I want to finish on this note of this utter DB Cooper clone who uh, was not as good as D.B. Cooper. And I just wanted to throw in here because it was the craziest story I've ever, well, not the craziest one I've ever read, but it was pretty funny. So 1980, this guy called Glenn K. Tripp, uh, weird last name, never trust that last name. He stumbled onto a plane, a 727, flying a specific... Or group. did he trip onto a plane? Oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, he went on, demanded $600,000 in bills, two parachutes, Plus the assassination of his boss at work. <laughs> ah, so he really had a grudge. <laughs> yeah, which I didn't know you could just demand that as like a as like a hijack or something. It's like, yeah, sorry, Larry, but this guy demanded you get assassinated, and it's for the good of the people, you know. So, <laughs> I mean, sure, you can demand it, but it's it's not gonna never no they're never not gonna do it. Yeah, Simon. In uh, in case you're ever hijacking and making demands, you can demand whatever you want. This <laughs> doesn't I mean, mean you're going to. It's interesting them. though. You're basically making the police do a trolley problem. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this one guy's bad boss, or these. Yeah, exactly. Do we do we do we do we kill this one asshole who is innocent, or do we let this guy blow up an airplane? Well, that's interesting. It'd be even funnier if that boss had like a ton of complaints. From a bunch of <laughs> yeah, but trust me, he's a really bad egg. <laughs> Nobody would mind if he died. He doesn't have a wife. He doesn't have kids. Yeah, it's all no family fine. Record. No family on record. He's just an all-around loser. You can take him out. It's better than everyone in this airplane. Anyways, the way this situation resolved was bureaucratic delay. 
So it landed the airport, but there was a 10-hour standoff between the police, the FBI, and the plane itself about getting the demands right because they're like, we're not going to assassinate him. You got to do something else. Eventually, <laughs> um, they did this tactics, these tactics kind of worked because he lowered his demands. Guess what he lowered them to? Just kicking the boss in the balls. Break, break his knees. <laughs> well, he dropped the boss, the boss entirely, unfortunately. He demanded uh, he demanded free cheeseburgers and a getaway car. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can now those are some things I can relate to. The guy's been been sitting in this airplane with all this like this whole stressing situation. You know what? I really just want a cheeseburger. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what? Make it three. Bu- bureaucracy is a is a force of nature. <laughs> Having to deal with that, I can I definitely yeah. get it. You imagine being the operative, being sent out to the McDonald's to to buy those hamburgers. Like, <laughs> sir, you do not under. I'm sorry, you don't understand how imperative it is that we get these hamburgers right now. I'm sorry, people. This is a matter of national security. Yeah, I have to cut the line. These demands were sufficient, and he got them. And he actually did a nice little police chase, but then eventually he was pulled over and arrested. I hope those cheeseburgers were worth it. The story doesn't end here, though. Three years later, Glenn K. Tripp got on the same airplane, flying the same flight route to try it again. <laughs> this I, time... He got out of, how did he get out after three that years? That was also I was wondering. Apparently, our piracy only gives you like a two-year sentence or something. But the other guy got 42 years. 45. Yeah, yeah. Regardless, <laughs> well, uh... three years later, he managed to trip his way onto the same plane, same air route, like same journey, basically, which I thought was pretty stupid as well. Got on the plane and was like, yo, this time I want to be flown to Afghanistan. <laughs> I'm sorry? <laughs> yeah, he wanted to be flown to Afghanistan in the 1980s. Was the did he think he'd like hide in the crossfire of the Soviet Afghan war? Like, <laughs> I, I just think there, I just think this guy was an idiot. <laughs> to, to be fair, he might just been like thinking in the in his head. It's like I'm gonna go there. I'm gonna support the, uh, the support the fight against the commies. There's one <laughs> thing I hate more than than the U.S. and then this company. That, that's the commies. Yeah. Regardless, this time his demands weren't as satisfactory. And in the ensuing police standoff, uh, FBI standoff, he was shot and tragically killed. And that is the story of Glenn K. Tripp. Wow. That's why uh, lightning doesn't strike twice. No. Exactly. It's shot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The first time lightning strikes, the second time the bullet strikes. The first, time you, get, the first time you get free cheeseburgers and a cool little car, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's quite a notable step down. This time from you first. just got a just got a lead sandwich. Uh, Poor okay. guy. So that about wraps up DB Cooper, and let, let's uh, give our final impressions. Do we think he survived the jump? Do we think one of the people we talked about was him, or do we think there was some kind of different explanation? Ryan, do you want to go first? Yeah. So uh, I'll say that this is, I think, one of the, like the just classic mystery stories like it, it grabs the imagination so perfectly uh there's there's so many unknowns so many things that could have gone wrong that you just can't help but hope they all went right like mm-hmm. i i wish with all my heart that it was mayfield is that that was its name right yeah mayfield? Teddy, ted mayfield yeah or, or not even Mayfield. That's just like another red herring. That that he is just the the ultimate 
troll in aviation history just wanted to fuck with people and that's all he did it for i i really hope that's what's true but we'll never know like it's 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 too perfect in that we'll we'll never know the true answer to this and mm-hmm. I, I i do like to think it just kind of blundered out of the airplane like this picture it's just <laughs> I yeah didn't, i, I mean, didn't think this <laughs> Yeah, like, honestly, if we want to go, like, full realistic, he's probably dead. He probably died. On oh, I mean, he's, he's, he's most likely going to be dead anyway at this point, but he probably oh, died at that point. True. Yeah. But uh, definitely, um, or very, not definitely, but high chance he's just straight up dead. And for whatever reason, they couldn't find all of the money. <laughs> That's... It's the most likely answer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think I'll, I think I'll, I'll sign off on that too. Is he, he jumped out of the airplane, didn't think it through, died like a chump, and the money kind of got sh- got scattered over a really like foresty kind of area, and it just kind of found its way. So maybe at some point people are going to dig up some more DB Cooper money if it's even still there. But yeah. That seems like the most realistic outcome. I liked the inside yeah. job idea. Uh, I know it's not as sexy and glamorous, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a classic conspiracy. No, it is. Inside. It is. I'm making a conspiracy again, but uh, yeah, no. I, I just love this case. I think it's great, and uh, there's just so much to it. And it's there's just so many suspects, which each have like at least somewhat like makes you think a little. At least made me think a little. You guys shot. Yeah. But then it makes me wonder, like, in cases like this, how how many people have plausible stories, you know, like that. Again, it's like it goes back to the just the imagination. It's so easy to to let your mind fill the gaps in and just attach to any story that you that that, yeah, like that you that you want to be true. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think that just about wraps it up for today. Um, thank you again mm-hmm. for coming on, Ryan. Any final words you want to share with the audience? Any, any advice on air piracy that you learned from this episode? Um, if Yeah, don't hijack a plane. That's my <laughs> advice. Uh, it seems to have an even lower success rate than uh, bank robberies, which is also a really bad idea. Uh, so yeah, don't don't hijack there's plenty of other ways to to make money even even illicitly not that i'm advocating (laughs) that yeah cool but yeah no and it's a it's a classic story it's it's just such a fun one It, it grabs the imagination and uh you know i think it's great that the mystery has never been solved because now we just all get to pretend what what we want to be true is true any final words as well huh yeah, I agree, agree mostly with it. The fact that it hasn't been solved kind of makes the world a bit more magical, in a sense. <laughs> there's, there's still things there that we're never going to know, despite all the things that we do now. Um, I, I actually never heard the story, so that was fun. That was interesting. Yeah. Um, I think I wanted to say something else, but I forgot about it, so it probably wasn't important. Nah. Oh, uh, was it just going to admit that you are a <laughs> I was, no, I was going to give my advice for uh, hijacking a plane. So if you do hijack a plane, bring a helmet. Mm. That's, that's <laughs> FBI-approved advice because they kind of said that. <laughs> yeah, no. Honestly, jumping out of a, uh, jumping out of a plane is, is really 
stressful on the eyes. Like, mm-hmm. but yeah, he, he had the sun, he had the shades, you know, he had the shades. Well, the, the, yeah, but you know, the sh- you know what happens to the shades? They, well, they get blown off immediately. See, that would have been the most impressive thing if he landed and was still wearing the sunglasses. Still wearing the sunglasses. <laughs> just, just takes off the sunglasses. Like he, he just kind of wipes up some of the dirt from his thing, and he just takes out the sunglasses and walks away with his back yeah. on. That is canon. And then pulls an apple out of his uh, jacket pocket and just takes a big <laughs> just, bite. Just blow, flings it in the air and takes a bite. Yeah. Yeah. And then and and then credits. And then, credits. Yeah, and then uh, Baker Street uh, starts playing. This is what happened. You, you, there's no way of con- convincing me anything else. On yeah, this there you go, Hollywood. Perfect ending. There you go. Well, actually, I would love if a movie was made that like like. They go full on into the intrigue of it all, and then they had have the balls to to finish it off with just him dying by falling. <laughs> uh, it'd be cool if they had a movie which, like, instead of sticking to one character, just flashed to different suspects and kind of like pretended they got away. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or 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 it's just a movie where you where you make it about you you really blow everything out of proportion just go for the grudge you give him this whole backstory yeah. <laughs> as he's fly falling out of the airplane and he doesn't he doesn't get it open like the thing's stuck and he's just flashing through his whole life and his wife and his grudge which is obviously going to be very heartfelt so we're going to be rooting for him and then you just see him close his eyes in, in like a flash of money that is flying all around and then and just That's hits it. the ground, cuts to black. <laughs> exactly. You, you just hear a crunch, just <laughs> the black, the black <laughs> See some birds fly up. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, I, I think talking about end credits and everything, I think we got to end it here. I think this is officially going to be the longest episode I've ever done. So. Well, you said it was going to be the shortest. I thought so too, but you know, it's a return to form. You know, we've been gone for almost a month, so we're treating it's you true. with a special TV Cooper episode. I think it just goes back to how great the story is. Yeah, it's, it's really good. the perfect mystery. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you liked, if you like to listen, please give us a like. Please drop us a subscription. Please drop us a share. And as always, I mean, don't rob planes. See you guys later. See ya. See ya. <laughs>